um, we're carrying on with our series um, that we started, and that you remember that Tim started off by talking about asking God first, about how we, even in the everyday things, ask God first before you before you do things. Don't take it for granted. You know that He's going to want you to do the same today as He did yesterday. And then Dave Gawler came and preached about how Jesus humbled himself, and I'm going to pick up on some of those points, particularly today. And then last week, Tim talked about the story of our life, the fact that our values underpin everything we do. Our values are our foundation, and what we do comes out of our values. So I'm going to talk to you today about a Christian value, which is having the heart of a servant to serve others. And we know that our our perfect example of that is is Jesus, is God, how he did not put himself first, but chose to serve us. And we can think of many examples of that. But I was listening to a, a podcast this morning, this, um, last this week rather. Um, there's a guy I went to university with. He's a great um, inspirational force for me and for other people when we were at university. He's a He's a student, um, and he's gone on to do great things for God. Now, he can, you, you can actually hear him doing um, the pause for thought thing on Radio 2 some mornings now. He's been to 10 Downing Street. He's a person of great influence. He's written a load of books. Um, but his main, one of his passions is fostering and adoption. And he was talking on the podcast about how um, they had adopted their their sixth child. They already had five children. I think they had three birth children and they'd already adopted two of them. But they adopted their seventh child. And he said it just gave him a great revelation of God's heart for us. That God did not adopt us because he needed more children. God adopted us because we needed a father. And you know, and that was, that's the heart of God's servant heart for us. He did not need us, but we needed him. And therefore, he chose to humble himself and to put himself out to take on us. With all our, our fears, our failures, all the things we get wrong. He wanted our, our problems in his life. Because he knew that we couldn't cope without him. So my, my, the first passage I'm going to talk on is, is in Philippians 2, which you'll probably all be fairly familiar with. So if you've got your Bible, if you want to turn to Philippians 2. And Paul is writing to the Philippians. You remember this church that, that Tim is very excited about, the church plant of the the rich woman, the jailer, and the demon-possessed servant. And obviously, that church thrived. It grew greatly. And Paul writes the letter to the Philippians, and, and he's, he says, I'm writing this to all the people in the Philippian church, to the elders, to the deacons, to the, everyone. So, you know, this is clearly a, a thriving church with lots of people in it. Um, and in chapter 2, he says, Make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with one another loving one another and working together with one mind and purpose. You know, in these divided times that we live in at the moment, in this country, in this world, isn't, isn't that a, 
a countercultural message, that we should be agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, working together with one mind and purpose, even if there are things that we don't agree on, as the church, when we come together as the church, when we are being the church, we do it wholeheartedly, together, in unity. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourself. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think equality with God was something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. Then he appeared in human, when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of the Father. And so Paul says, yeah, our attitude should be like that as Jesus. He, he was great. But he humbled himself and he became a servant. He became a servant to us. He served us. He served us by giving us the phenomenal teaching he did in the Bible. He served us by giving an example of how to live. He served us by calling together a, a ragtag bag of all kinds of different men and women to teach them, to disciple them, to bring them so that when he left and sent his Holy Spirit, there was a seed of a church that was planted and which is flowering as part of us today. And we can trace our roots back. Every one of you here today is here because of a person or because of a church or because of something you saw and that person and that church is there because of another person another church right the way back to those 12 apostles and right the way back to Jesus ministry on earth we that is that is our family tree and Jesus served us by dying on the cross by being willing to die to take away our sins. And he served us by rising again in victory over death so that we know that we have the victory. Whatever is happening in the world today, whatever is happening to us in our families, in our finances, in our health, we know that we serve a victorious God and that we will share in that victory because we worship we worship Christ hanging on the cross, but we also worship the Christ that came out and left the tomb empty. So Christ has served us, and Christ tells us that we are to serve. In Luke 22, chapter 22, verses 25 to 27, Jesus told them, in this world, the kings and the great men lorded over their people, 
yet they are called friends of the people. I, you know, don't we see that as well with our politicians? They want to be the top dogs. They want to be in charge. But they want you to think that they're your friends. Even though sometimes they're not actually doing the things that are best for you. They're doing what serves them well. But they still want to be popular. But Jesus said, but amongst you, it will be different. Those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank. And the leader should be the servant. Who is more important, the one who sits at the table or the one who serves? It's the one who sits at the table, of course, but not here. But not here. For I am coming as one who serves. Jesus Christ, God Almighty, the Savior of the universe, the maker of all things. You know, I, I was watching... Um, last night, the Blue Planet documentary again, and you look at some of these things, and you just think, how on earth did anybody believe this is an accident? How stupid would you have to be to look at this, you know? I mean, how can microorganisms be intelligent enough to know they have to do this and that and that and that and that, and if they go there, this happens, and if that happens, how can a cuttlefish with a brain the size of a tiny pea know what color the seaweed is behind it and change to that color, you know? It's just ridiculous. How can anybody believe that stuff? It doesn't make sense at all. And, you know, this is, this is Jesus, the one who made all this, the one who makes it all work. Coming as a human being, letting people push him around, choosing to serve people. Remember the story of him choosing to wash his disciples' feet. That was a job that that if you were a slave, if you were a Jewish slave in in the culture, that was one job you were allowed to say no to. You were a slave. You had to do what you were told, except... Washing feet was so demeaning that you could refuse to do it. But he chose to do that as a picture to us of what. And that didn't mean that he was any less. Actually, he could do it because he was far greater than the people who he was serving. And when we go into the world, we go as his appointed representatives. We go as adopted sons and daughters of the most high king of the universe. But because we know who we are, we can humble ourselves and serve, not because we have to, but because we choose to. And so, in Jesus' example, (coughs) we are to be servants. And we are to be servants in two ways. Firstly, We are to be servants of that Jesus who came as our servant. In Romans 12, again, a passage I'm sure many of you are very familiar with. Jesus, uh, Paul writes, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, so because of what God has done for you, because he has had mercy on you, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. And then in Luke 9, 21 to 25, Jesus, Jesus warned his disciples not to tell anyone who he was. The Son of Man must suffer many terrible things, he said. He will be rejected by the elders and the leading priests, the teachers of the religious law. He will be killed, but on the third day he will be raised from the dead. You know, Jesus knew what his destiny was. He knew he was going to be rejected. He knew he was going to be killed, but he knew he was going to rise again. And then he said to the, the crowd, if you want, if anyone wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross daily and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world? but are yourself lost or destroyed. Yeah. It is not easy to be a follower of Christ because when you are a follower of Christ, you have to follow Christ. And when we look at what happened to Christ, he went to some bad places and he had some bad things happen. And if you are following him, you've got to be ready for those kind of things. There will be times of immense joy. There is we receive blessings far beyond anything we could ever imagine or deserve in this life and more so in the life to come. But also, we have to be ready and willing to follow him wherever he goes. You know, Jesus loves you and accepts you as you are. When you come to Christ, he loves you so much that he accepts you exactly as you are, difficult, broken, mixed up, imperfect, sinful. He loves you and he accepts you. But what he calls you to do is to love him and accept him as he is. God most high, Lord of lords, King of kings, omnipotent, omniscient, the one and only saviour and our only hope. That is who he is and that is who he wants you to accept him as in return for him accepting you. And you know, there are some, um, some theologians, you know, believe that God compels you to do that but I don't believe that you are compelled to do that because the theolo some theologians believe that God, God must be almighty in everything and he must rule in everything but I say you know, I, I, look, I look to a God who put a tree in Eden knowing knowing that it would probably mean disaster and probably mean pain but was willing to do that I look to a God who came as a tiny helpless baby but was still God Almighty. I look to a God who washed people's feet, who touched the unclean, who suffered humiliation and death, but was still God Almighty in all those things. Um, he is the one we follow. But you know, we, we're often keen to think about how 
when Christ died on the cross and we die with him and with him all our sins and weaknesses die. Our penalty of death is taken. But you know, when you die with Christ, your dreams die with Christ as well. Your choice dies with Christ as well. You choose to follow him wherever he goes. And, and some t- for some people, that'll mean having to go places you really don't want to go. And meet with people you really don't want to meet with. For some people, sometimes, that means having to stay somewhere you're really quite uncomfortable and you don't want to go. You know, I'm at um, West Point. We um, different speakers spoke on some different topics, and I mean, three the three I can remember was one of them spoke about um, casting a net on the other side, tired, hard-working fishermen who were just coming home, feeling defeated, feeling they'd had enough. They just wanted to get to bed. We're told, no, get back in the boat, get right out into the middle. Put your nets down again. And they must have felt like, oh, I just, no, I'm just so tired. But Jesus said, no, go back, do it again. For um, another, another person spoke about the woman at the well, who was a social reject, who was having to go out at a time when no one else, when she knew no one else was going to be around, who had a appalling reputation and was probably looked down on by everybody and someone else talked about the legion the madman famous for being (coughs) running around in tombs naked they tried to chain him up because he was a danger to himself and to others and they couldn't do it and he, wasn't al- he was allowed in one bit of town. You could be sure that no one else would ever go to. The graves, you know, no, you never, the Jews would never have gone anywhere near the graves. And, it, and they had pigs there. And they would have never gone anywhere near them. So he was a total outcast and a reject. And Jesus said both to the woman at the well and to Legion, actually, I don't want you to follow me and go all the way over there where nobody knows who you are and what your reputation is. I want you to go back and talk to the people who've rejected you. I want to know. I want you to go back and talk to the people who know the very worst things about you. And I want you to stay with them and I want you to tell them about me. And that might be what Jesus wants us to do. We might be asked to stay in places where we feel uncomfortable because that's where Jesus knows we'll be most effective. But we're not only called to serve Jesus, we're called to serve others. Jesus was compassionate. He went to the places that other people wouldn't go, like going, in, going over to Gennesaret to meet with the legion, like sitting at a well and talking to, to a woman. He, he was willing to break all the social codes and all the rules because people mattered to him. People mattered to him far more than titles, far more than money, far more than reputation. He was willing to do anything to serve people. And he calls us to love and to serve other people. 
and to serve other people, we've got to interact with other people. If you want to serve the church, you need to be part of the church. These days, it is quite possible to believe that you are a Christian and sit at home and just watch videos, uh, watch on the TV, on the God channel or on other similar channels, um, listen to podcasts and to be really fed by what God is doing. But you know what? You're not serving a church. You're not part of the body. And when you look at all the, the writings in the New Testament, they are all written talking about churches, about bodies, about the fact that everyone plays a part. And if you are not playing a part in a church, then you are like a finger that's been cut off and amputated. You're not achieving the purpose you were made for. But also, we've got to be part of society. We have neighbors. We have friends. We have families. We have workplaces. We have people who work in shops that we shop at. All of these are people with needs, and we are called to be servants, not because we are the least valuable people in society, but because we are the most valuable people in society. And some of us will be in positions where the world will recognize us as highly valuable people. And some of us will be in positions where the world will think of us as very lowly and not valuable people. But we are all sons and daughters of the king, but we are all called to be servants of the people that we encounter. So we are to imitate Jesus' example and serve the people around us. And we serve people by doing what they need us to do, not what we think we should be doing for them. You're not being a good servant to somebody if you walk up to them and tell them that they're foolish and they're wrong and that you're going to show them what they need to be doing and how they need to be living. You know, we are so, we need to honor people. We need to dignify people, and particularly those people that society looks down on and dishonors and, and patronizes and doesn't dignify. We are to dignify those people and we are to raise them up and show them who they are, because they are loved by the Almighty God, and they are worthy of Jesus' death. And we are not to patronize people. We're to ask, love them and ask them how they want to be loved, to be quick to listen and slow to speak, to empower people so that actually they don't need us anymore and do ourselves out of a job. And that includes serving those people who are the hardest to serve, who are the most ungrateful, who are dirty and unclean and unwashed, who are outcasts. Because those are the kind of people that Jesus tended to go to. Jesus went to rich people's houses as well. And Jesus was as keen to save the rich people and the people who knew them all. But what Jesus was known for was that he went to the places that the other people didn't go, where the religious people thought it was wrong. And so... In conclusion, we are, as Christians, to have a, a value of being servant-hearted. And we are servant-hearted because we serve us, because Jesus was our servant king. And we are to serve him by following him wherever he tells us to go. And we are to serve him by serving others. And the last 
thing that came out of one of the podcasts I was listening to that was highly interesting. It's that, you know, the Christian community, the early church, was radically unpopular because they rejected all the religious norms. They defied everything. And when, in a, in a pagan society that believed in multiple gods, every time some, a disaster happened or something went wrong in a city, People look around and thought, who's upset the gods? Oh, who are those people who say the gods don't exist? Oh, it's the Christians. It must be their fault. And so they were persecuted mercilessly. But you know what? The church grew. And what was one of the biggest reasons why people who hated the Christians still went along to their meetings? Because the Christians had a radical social policy of caring for everybody who was part of their church and for caring for every town and village they were part of, even if the people hated them. So we are to be servants of Christ by serving him and by serving others.